I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Gaius and Crispus, or Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. So we're continuing our series in in 1 Corinthians, this kind of imperfect church. And he's writing to uh, this church that... um, is experiencing lots of divisions and factions and kind of splits and things like that. And man, I don't know about you, but aren't you so glad that we live in a time and a place that isn't like that? Like our culture is just united together. There's no like sectarianism. There's no partisanship in politics. Like we just live in this united uh, society together. It's great and it's wonderful, isn't it? Um, obviously, that's I'm being facetious. And uh, it actually it feels like, so um, in, in the 45 years I've been on, on the planet, it feels like we are living in one of the most polarized times. Um, and we might actually live in one of the most polarized places. Um, so congratulations. Good job. <laughs> this is, uh, this is our, our lot in life that we have, right? Um, and we will polarize over everything. Um, anybody remember this? We have an image up here on the... On the uh, on the screen, this went viral a while back. Remember this? So, how many of you? So, there was this massive like split worldwide, this global like uh, argument over whether this was a black and blue dress or whether this is a white and gold dress. So, how many of you see a black and blue dress? Okay. How many of you see white and gold dresses? How? 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 All right, take it off the screen or we're just going to sit and stare and try to think about this dress the rest of the time. Right? So we, like, and I'm being silly in that, um, in that, but we we really are quite polarized, um, not just within the church, but just our culture at large, whether it's over Brexit, whether it's over the border issue uh, in Ireland, whether it's over climate, um, and whether that's an issue or what we should do about that issue, whether uh, gender ideologies... Um, class, working class, middle class, elites, all of these things, Bojo, Trump, whatever it may be, that's a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we, we divide over all of these sorts of things. We want to identify with certain things, and then we want to use that identity um, to divide ourselves. But deep underneath, we all long for unity. We all long for this harmony, this integration. No one wakes up in the morning longing for disunity, chaos, 
disintegration. We would love to live in a unified community of shalom, where we sacrificially love one another. Shalom is this, uh, it's this word in the Bible, um, uh, this Hebrew word that really is this, uh, it tries to encapsulate this idea of peace. Not just peace, though, it's, it's, it's universal flourishing. It's wholeness. It's integration. But the reality is this is not the normative structure of communities um, and really hasn't been since the fall. But as we read the Old Testament, these prophets dreamed about the day when all the things that were corrupt and broken would be rebuilt, where the rough spaces and places would be made smooth and straight, that there would be this humility in place of arrogance, that peace instead of conflict and warfare, this imagery of lions and lambs laying down next to each other, this longing for shalom. And we know that that ultimately that promise of shalom will ultimately be fulfilled um, when when Jesus returns, when the new earth and the new heavens are established. This world that we all long for, where all the pain, where all the suffering, where all the insecurities um, that we all feel, where all of our divisions and factions, the things that divide us, are all broken down once and for all. And the church in Corinth is experiencing many similar things, um, even within the church. And so Paul is appealing to them. He's appealing to them. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, that's brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's appealing to them that they all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Um, Paul uh, establishes this church in many ways. He's their spiritual father. Um, and so I kind of chuckled when I read this because it, it reads like a dad appealing to his kids to stop fighting, of which is my life at the minute, <laughs> right? So our two youngest are close in age. And depending on the moment of the day, they're either best mates or arch nemesis. And, um, and there's this parental tenderness that Paul comes with but also this kind of solemn authority as well. He's appealing to Jesus. He's invoking the name of Jesus. And there's a sense of like, I will pull this car over right now if you don't stop fighting. And he instructs them a few things in this, in this opening verse. He, he instructs them to agree. This word in the Greek, it means to speak the same. They were to speak the same. It was a political term used to describe political parties that were free from factions. They should be speaking the same, that they shouldn't have any divisions. This word is schismata. It's the word that we get our English word schism from. There shouldn't be any schisms within the body of Christ. He's appealing to them to find new methods of relating to one another, not to always go looking for an argument. Anybody love a good argument? Yes. Yes. That's why me and Tom get on so well. I love a good argument was on the debate team um, when I was in school. Like, I, I just love a good, robust, intellectual wrestle. And there can be good things that come out of that, um, but there's a dark side to that as well. Always looking for a fight, always trying to be a contrarian, always trying to find the other uh, way to, to oppose. Um, he asked them to be united in the same mind and judgment 
They are to communicate with with one another to get on the same page. He's appealing for them to adjust their opinions, to adjust their worldview, to be in line with the gospel. We see Paul do this in other, in other places, even with, even with Peter. Um, he, he, he has to bring them back into a line with the gospel. And it's important to understand he's not looking for uniformity. We're not, he's not asking them to be identical, but he's looking for harmony about the basics and the fundamentals of the faith. There should be the things that we're in agreement on, the basics, the fundamentals of the faith, faith, the, the apostolic teaching is shorthand uh, that the, the scripture uses. Apostles' Creed kind of stuff. That, we should all be in agreement in that. And then how then we press out together should be in harmony. There might be things that are going to look a little bit different. He's appealing for their mind to be shaped by the gospel. To have a, a mental kind of framework that is the same. And out of that framework, then there are to arrive at judgments that are in line with the truth of the gospel. So there's this path to unity. There's agreement. There's mended relationships. There's intentional, harmonious life together. And it is. It's being intentional with that. That doesn't happen accidentally. We have to intentionally, as much, Paul would write to another church, as much as is possible with you to live at peace with one another. And he makes this appeal because the church was coming apart at the seams. It had broken into factions. Some thought um, that when you and I, when, when different people in the Corinthian church had different visions for the way the world was supposed to be, that there couldn't be unity. There's this obstacle to unity. And Paul's trying to break through this obstacle um, Corinth, this letter that he writes is actually a response to a letter that they wrote to Corinth. So they, the, the church doesn't have the New Testament yet. Uh, well, they received one part of it when he wrote this letter back to them, right? Um, so, the, so if they have questions about the implications of how the gospel plays out, how they're supposed to live their faith out, they would write to the apostles. They would write. And so they write to uh, Paul and they uh, ask him about things like spiritual gifts. They were having some issues around the Lord's Supper. Um, is uh, clarifying things around the resurrection, bodily resurrection, things about marriage, um, all of these sorts of things. So they write asking about that, and Paul responds to that letter with this letter, but he starts with something they didn't ask about, but something that he had heard about. Um, And it was this disunity. How can we go on to address these other issues when you guys are split up into factions already? And so he hears from Chloe, Chloe's people. Um, so Chloe is a, a more than likely a wealthy businesswoman um, from Ephesus. That's where Paul is as he's writing to Corinth. Um, and more than likely, she has business interests in Corinth. So she has people, um, she's traveling between the two, has people that are a part of the church in, in both of those cities. And the report comes back to him through her that they, the church is being divided. It's splitting up into these different factions. And there's these horizontal factions. Um, the horizontal relationships that we have with one another are breaking up. And so much so, so he says that they're fighting, they're quarreling. It's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. And how does he address them again? My brothers. 
There's a partisan spirit that had worked its way into the church. And there were several factors for that in this city. There was social stratification. Um, So you had people of different kind of classes that were there. You had this um, philosopher student loyalty. So this is one of the premier Greek cities of the time, known for their valuing eloquence, uh, oratory skills and styles. You had these philosophers, uh, and, and each of them had their schools with their students. There was this idea of really of personal patronage, aligning yourself with um, this patron, right? So we get our word kind of father from that, um, from Latin potter. Uh, so this, this is my father, right? This is, this is the person I'm going to align with, this school of thought, this leader. All of this is just being subsumed, uh, subsumed by the church, They had wholly adopted their culture's emphasis on patronage, aligning with a father for social identity, right? And we do this today. We want to know who, uh, uh, what other people are like. And so we ask certain kind of questions to try to get an idea uh, of, of, are you like me? What do we have in common? What books do you like to read? What music do you listen to? Where'd you go to school? Like we, we try to, all these kind of social cues that we kind of pick up. Do you like instant coffee? Deal breaker, not friends. <laughs> Just kidding. Sort of. No, I am kidding. I promise you I am. I'm 100% kidding. I'm not going to drink it, but you're welcome to. Right? So we come up with these little kind of social cues, don't we? And what's interesting here is these aren't theological divisions that are, that are breaking this church apart. They're not theological divisions. This isn't, this isn't a gospel kind of issue that people were dividing over. They're dividing and aligning themselves with people who are teaching the same thing. Paul, Apollos, Peter, that's Cephas. And then you have this, this other crew that's like, well, we're of Christ. We'll come back to them in a second. So they're dividing among this kind of stylistic, rhetorical kind of lines. The Corinthians are trying to find their identity in the same way that you and I do, in union with another person. And that alignment would give them meaning. It would give them a more privileged position than other people. It's this self-validation by means of another person's success. We might call this today virtue signaling even, right? We, we have these social cues, these social markers of the way that we divide ourselves along what we think is important. And we'll often look to other people to represent those ideals for us, align with those people, and then we divide from other people who don't align with us. I read The Guardian, not The Daily Mail. And it goes the other way, doesn't it? It goes both ways. Things like music or books or whatever it may be, we have these kind of badges of honor And here, the more elite, the more wealthy, the more upper class, the more educated my kind of patron is, then I also will be viewed as someone important, someone worthy, someone valuable, someone praiseworthy. And it works works both ways. Class warfare works both ways. Um, I have friends who do a lot of church planting and an emphasis kind of in in poor urban areas. Um, and, And... and they'd admit, if, if they're not careful as well, that kind of elitism that they, that they see as oppressive to them 
there's a version of that within the, the lower class as well, where you take pride. No, actually, I do read the Daily Mail. And actually, we're not uh, from those kind of, you know, snobbery schools. We really got to grind it out. And we're the ones who really, right? All of us want to try to elevate ourselves within our own kind of social circles, within our own kind of taking these kind of social cues. And we get sucked into these kind of ways of thinking. That might be our education credentials, gender, age, the list goes on and on. And then we get sucked into this cycle then of judging other people's motives. We start to moralize. We start to judge other people, not on things that the Bible says that we're to actually have a moral stand on. You remember when we went through the Sermon on the Mount? There are things that we should judge, we should discern, we should evaluate. But here we start to judge people on, on causes or people that they're aligning with. And sure, those things can tell us moral, moral things at times, sure. This isn't, this isn't what's happening here. This self-validation alignment with people or causes is our escapist fix to numb the suspicion and fear that there's something wrong with this world and it might just be us. We look to these surrogate saviors and we become evangelists for political parties for parenting methods, for diets, for certain kinds of education. We start to moralize things that are morally neutral. And we see this within our world all over the place. And if we're not careful, we get sucked into that same kind of framework, that same kind of of worldview, that same way of evaluating other people. And this is what Paul's trying to break down. That's not the way the people of God should view the world. That's not the way that we should see the world. That we're shaped by the gospel. We see the world, we see other people the way that Jesus actually sees them. We care for, we have compassion for. But we did this too. There's Christian versions of this, is there not? We align under certain pastors or certain thought leaders, certain movements. Certain denominations. We attach ourselves to things that can't ultimately bear the weight and ultimately begin to crumble. Pastors fall. Movements end. Your sports team isn't always going to be at the top of the table. Sorry, Man United fans. Your social ideology eventually fails and moves on. Just, we have such short history uh, um, we have such short memory when it comes to histories. And this is what's happening here. Well, I follow Paul. No, 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 no. I follow Apollos. No, Peter's the way to go. And then you have these people that are actually, no, actually, I follow Christ. Right? Now, how are you supposed to argue with that? They just like Jesus juked everybody. And so you're like, well, surely that should be the right that's right, right? We should be followers of Christ. But that's not what's actually happening here. They're actually using Christ as another way to divide off from each other. As another way to kind of look down upon. That's not an actual following Jesus. That's what Paul's trying to get them to do. Or a lot of times we can, we can kind of um, use Jesus as a way to even distance ourselves um, because we're 
hyper-individualistic, anti-authority. I don't have to listen to Paul and Apollos, these leaders in the church. I don't have to listen to Peter. I just, Jesus is my, my pastor. And that, that is true. Like, Jesus is the shepherd of all of us. But he's given us people to lead within that. So what's the root of all this horizontal kind of fracture? This fracture that we have with each other. How do we get to the bottom of that so that we can fix it? Um, and what we'll see is the root of our kind of horizontal fracture is our vertical kind of fracture, our, our fracture um, with God himself. The, it's, it's incredible to me that you start off um, with God and humanity, God creating this idyllic place that we could be in fellowship with him. And it's literally just like chapters into what our Bible is before we're like, nah, we're good. We're going to do our own thing. And then it's just a, a few more chapters before the first person actually dies because of it. So you have two brothers, Cain and Abel. And Cain kills his brother. Why is that? Why does he kill his brother? Well, we, as we read the story, he, he's angry with his brother. He's jealous of his brother because of his relationship with God is broken down. He's angry at God because God rejects his offering. So you know the story, right? Abel comes. Abel is a shepherd. And God has asked them to bring their first fruits, their best um, of their uh, 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 offering to him. And so this is, what it, this is what Abel does. He brings his finest choice lamb. Um, this kind of spotless lamb, and he offers it to God, and God receives that um, uh, and blesses him for that. Cain um, brings this really sweet vegetable tray, um, and God rejects it, not because God's not a vegan, uh, and it's not because it was fruits and vegetables, but because it wasn't his first fruits. It wasn't his best. He decided what he was going to give to the Lord. He decided what he was going to keep he had a different vision for his world than God did. And God rejects that from him, and his anger then is kindled with God, but it manifests itself in his relationship with his brother. This vertical schism brought a horizontal schism. And we're like Cain. We've decided that our shalom is better than God's. Our way in the world, our vision for our life is better than what God has for us. We want to recreate. We want to rule our own um, world in the way that we see fit. And this really is the root of our relational problems. So how can this be mended? How can we have true unity? How can we have this holistic, satisfying, harmonic shalom where we lay down our causes, we lay down our attempts at self-validation, where we don't alienate people who aren't like us? The answer to that is we have to give up our lesser visions of unity. Our vision of shalom must come from the source of shalom in itself, from God himself. We all unite underneath his vision for our life. We have a common um, vision. And so how that plays itself out in the details of life is complicated, it's complex, it's nuanced. All the things that our culture doesn't have any time for, 
because it doesn't fit into a sound bite, it doesn't fit into a tweet, it doesn't fit in, you have to work things out, and they're complex. And sometimes there is no one right answer to things. And so we have to work together through that. But we as, the, as God's people filter all of those things through the lens of God's vision for us, the lens of the gospel. Look at verse, uh, verse 17. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. This is, this is what they were doing. Well, I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by Apollos. I was baptized. And he's like, man, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except for two. And then he's like, oh, wait, there was another, another couple in there too. I love that, right? And just as a little aside. So the, all of the Bible is inspired by God, but it wasn't dictated. Like, it wasn't like a secretary, like Paul's on a typewriter and he's he just dictating word for word. Like it's inspired, God is inspired. So he's, he's writing, inspired by and overseen and undergirded by the Holy Spirit. Um, but, he's, but you get this, these pockets of humanity as well. Like he's writing and there's no like delete button back in the day. <laughs> so he's like, oh no, wait, there were a couple other people in there as well. I can't remember if there's anybody else. But most of you I didn't baptize. Why? Because Christ didn't send me to baptize. He says that, that's, that's not the point. The whole point that God sent me was to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We'll come back to some of this next week. But the power of God is in the gospel. It's not in the eloquence. It's not in the delivery. It's not in how, how, how well-spoken he was. It seems like Paul was a pretty good communicator, but probably not as good as Apollos. Paulus comes from, from Alexandria, the University of Alexandria at the time. Like, this would be like coming from Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard. Like, so when he shows up, like, he's bringing intellectual elite kind of like, with, he's bringing some oomph with him. And you could see people going, oh, that Paul guy, you know, short Jewish kind of fella. And then, like, Apollos comes from Alexandria. Like, I'm going to get on board with this guy. This guy's got a little more clout, especially in, in a city that, prizes those things, philosophers, eloquence. Paul's like, you guys are, are missing the point. The point wasn't who you were baptized by. The point is the gospel and the power that comes through that. The gospel, our being shaped and formed by that, is the end of grasping after security, after identity, after shalom in these pseudo-saviors. And this is what he says. He's right. He he reminds them. Verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I like that he's speaking in third person. I might give that a go sometime. He's like, I thank God. No, this isn't. I I didn't do any of that. It's Christ sent me to preach the gospel. Lest the cross be emptied of its power. Do you think this is just eloquent wisdom? This isn't just kind of worldly. Oh, that sounds really good. This kind of fading thing. No, there's power. The power of God is in the gospel. Jesus actually, what he actually accomplished in his death and resurrection, there's power in that. And that's what we're to turn to. There isn't power in pseudo-saviors. Those pseudo-saviors can't be crucified for you. Paul, Cephas, Apollos, None of those people, even your kind of version of Christ that you're trying to align behind. These pseudo-saviors can't be crucified for you. They can't restore your, your right relationship with God. They can't forgive your sin. They can't make you whole again. 
They can't then realign the way that you think through the power of the gospel to have the right kind of framework. They can't heal our relationships between each other. Horizontal divisions are now mended because of Christ, who had the most intimate, the most whole relationship with the Father ever experienced. There was no schism. There's no schism in the Trinity. There's no divisions in the, in the Trinity. And yet on the cross, Jesus experienced this division and fracture for our sake, for our sin. The words, my God, why have you forsaken me? Experiencing this separation from the Father so that you and I don't have to anymore. Jesus experienced the breakdown of both vertical and horizontal shalom to secure for us the ability to have vertical and, and horizontal uh, shalom restored. It's through Jesus and what he has accomplished in the, in, in the gospel that Paul is appealing to. I appeal to you to not be divided, to, not, to, to, to think the same way, to speak the same way. What, what was he basing his appeal on? On the name of Jesus. Because that's all, he's the only one that has the power. The cause that you're passionate about. The leaders that we're passionate about. The way, whatever it is that we kind of seek to align ourselves for self-validation. None of those things can bear the weight of that. They eventually all crumble and fail. And when they do, our identity, our purpose, our security tends to fail with that. We either despair or we go looking for the next thing. It just breeds a sense of insecurity. We don't know who we are. And our relationships suffer because of that. And so you have these amazing implications. These restored relationship, our restored relationship to God puts things in their proper place. When we as God's people have the same framework, the same worldview, when we are shaped by the gospel, food is food. Parenting is parenting. Politics is just politics. It doesn't mean that those things aren't important. How you parent is important. Politics, being involved in, in, in our civic, how we structure ourselves as a society is important. We should be involved in that to, to some level. But it's just politics. It's not going to save, save us. It's not the ultimate thing that's important. This is why Paul, when he would go to places, he would say, I, I actually was committed to know nothing else except Christ crucified. It's why he calls the message of the gospel of first importance. Why? Because that's the power of salvation. That's the thing that can actually transform you and I. That's the thing that will heal our vertical, uh, our vertical relationships and our horizontal relationships. Even Jesus' disciples didn't get it at first, did they? Hey, are we gonna over, when are we going to overthrow this government? Hey, can we just call down fire and brimstone? Let's just torch this place. And Jesus is like, um, I don't think you get it yet. This isn't about an earthly kingdom.
When we look to Jesus for our identity, for our validation, for our security, for our purpose in life, foundationally and ultimately, we never have to ask somebody else. We never have to ask some cause to be the source of our identity. We don't even have to look to ourselves to be the source of our identity. We never have to otherize people. We never have to themens anyone <laughs> in order to feel secure about ourselves. Christians should be the most secure people in the world. We should be the church, an outpost of God's shalom. When the world around us is breaking into factions and divisions, this should be the place where the gospel and the power of the gospel is demonstrated by our lack of those things. This can be a place that you can be a Brexiteer or a Remainer, and it doesn't, it doesn't, that's not going to affect our relationships with each other. You can want a united Ireland, or you would want Northern Ireland to be part of the UK. That's not going to affect our relationships with each other. Those aren't necessarily moral issues. There might be moral things that we could kind of see in those things, and we can talk about those things, but it's not the gospel. Those aren't the things uniting us together. It's not our race. It's not our class. Those aren't the things that unite us. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. And this is the upside-down power of the cross. It doesn't come with his eloquent wisdom. It's not the kind of power that the world looks to. It empties us of ourself, of our self-importance, of our need for self-validation, our need for a cause. Our cause is the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean that those other things aren't important. Don't mishear me. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be intellectually informed about things, that you can't have an opinion on anything else. Sure, but all of those things are put in their place. They're tempered because they're not our ultimate identity. They're not our ultimate source of hope. James asked the question, what causes quarrels? Because this is what they're doing. He says they're quarreling. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's our passions, our desires, our, our pleasures are at war Within us, we desire, we don't have things, and so we murder, we divide, we covet, we fight, we quarrel. And this is what the gospel does, doesn't it? It reorients our passions, it reorients our priorities. So the Paul would write to the church in Galatians, and he says this, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law of Christ is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Unity in the church 
is protected as we all unite around Jesus and his gospel. These other things we can have disagreements on. We can see the world a little bit differently. But those things are never to supersede. They're never to, I was going to say Trump. You just can't, that, he's just ruined it. Just for, you can't, can't, those things are, are not the overarching way by which we relate to one another. It's like having disagreements within your family. We're still family. He goes on then to say, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the flesh, these passions are why we're at war with one another, why we fight with one another. And Paul says the the antidote to, to that is by walking in the Spirit. We're to walk in the Spirit. We're to abide with Jesus. For the desires of the flesh, verse 17, is Galatians 5 are against the Spirit, and the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But you are led, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace, patience with each other, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there are no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. You see how he, how he frames this, not, not only in our relationship to God, but our relationship to one another. If we're walking in the Spirit... The Spirit is changing our passions and desires, and that's producing in us patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the marks of the Spirit working within His church, which is why it's so antithetical to then people dividing from each other, even under good, good things. Well, this pastor, I'm going to follow him. No, it's actually this pastor. Paul's like, no, 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 no. That, that's not, you're draining the power. The, the cross of Christ be emptied of its power when we do these things. The power of the cross in us changes the way that we think. It reorients our desires. And the Spirit produces in us these qualities. Now imagine if, if that's what we were known for. Not just when we gather together, but as we scatter out into the world. Imagine those conversations at your office or in your neighborhood, at the pub, wherever it is that these kind of conversations spur up, right? People start with their opinions. It gets heated back and forth. And we're the peacemakers. We're the people who bring gentleness, self-control. We bring a kingdom perspective. Paul's writing to a church, this is thousands of years ago, and the more things have changed, the more they stay the same. This is for us. May we be those people. We don't do that by trying harder. We don't do that by this kind of self-will. We do this by submitting to the Spirit. 
and he produces that work in us. We do this by remembering the gospel. We do that week after week, remembering the gospel by coming to the table. Let's do that even now. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you admitting um, that we are just prone to uh, look to other saviors to validate ourselves, to find identity, to find purpose. We look to other people. We look to other causes. We look to other uh, social constructs and identities. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that your spirit would would help us see those blind spots in in each of our lives um, where we, our worldview is being shaped by something other than you and the gospel. Um, And so, Father, I just pray you'd open our eyes and make us aware of those things. Father, we long for shalom. We long for the day where you will make all things new. Um, Father, we know that that is the the reality in the world now, that you have done that uh, already for us through your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. May we live in that reality, even as the world around us seems like it is uh, breaking apart. May we be people who are secure, who are confident, not arrogant, but just confident in in who you are and who the kingdom of God, uh, what the kingdom of God is. And may, may that confidence, may our faithful presence in the world, may our gentleness entreat other people um, to want to know how we operate like that. When everybody else is worried, when everybody else is, is, seems like they're falling apart, where they're unsure, where they're anxious, Father, we don't have to be those things because the things that we are looking to are not falling apart. They're not failing us that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. We ultimately have nothing to fear. And so may we hold fast with confidence even now as we come, as we receive bread and wine, your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, the power for us to live lives this way, the power for us to have restored relationships Um, with each other is found here at the table. Meet us here even now. We ask this in your name. Amen.